Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. What a good morning, amen? Amen. My worship team is good. I got to find a place for my, my branch here. Nope. Hey, there we go. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. We're uh, a week into uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. I've just been so encouraged by what God is doing uh, and what he continues to do. Amen? It's been really cool. I know some of you are like, wait, we're only we're only a third of the way through? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, uh, I just, man, it's been fun talking with people, and the thing that has really struck me, Katie and I were talking about this the other day, is really how the focus has been spiritually. Not just like, oh, I can't eat this, I can't do this, but the focus has been like, what are we believing God to do? Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, we as a church do a corporate fast of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, there's lots of different kinds of fast people do, and some people can engage in all 21 days. Some people just engage in whatever they can. And so I just encourage you uh, to check it out. If you go to our homepage at banner.church, there's a little guide you can download. talks all about fasting, and I just encourage you to dive in, be a part of it. Again, it's not so much like, oh, I'm giving up pizza or whatever. It's about, man, I'm, I'm spending that intentional time in the new year really focused on God, right? Really focused on what God has for me. And uh, I really just sense that in our church. I sense that our church has a hunger for what God wants to do in this season and how the Lord is leading. Amen? We were up with uh, our men's leadership team. Our, our uh, men's director, David Berry, did an awesome job putting together a really great leadership team. And we went up this weekend uh, with some of those men of the leadership team and, and just really prayed. I mean, had an incredible uh, just time, honestly, being a bunch of dudes together without our wives. But, uh, and, you know, the kind of shenanigans that, that occur. But also, importantly, the time of praying together and believing God to move. And uh, I, I just have to say, as it comes to that, I'm so excited for the new year and all that God is going to do uh, in really building up uh, the church and the men of the church. And it's got me really excited. You know, th this year of 2022, I I've been believing more than ever for God to move in powerful ways. We even have been ending every service with a time of praying together. Now, the altar time will usually pray for you, but at the end of service, we've been taking time to pray together, kind of like your small group would do, but we do it at the end for very specific things. So like last week, we gathered together in a couple circles, and we prayed for salvations, those in your friends and family who you're believing to come to know Christ. This week at the end of the service, when the host closes the service, when Jana closes, I just invite you, if you are believing for physical healing, mental healing of any kind, to come forward, and we're just going to circle up and pray together for that healing. Maybe it's you, maybe uh, you're, you're kind of standing in the gap for somebody, somebody in your family you want to pray for, and uh, we want to have that time. And I know every time we say we want to pray for healing, those of you who are, who are praying and believing, just the even thought of that as a emotionally exhausting. You've had those people like lay hands on you for two hours and maybe you haven't seen God move. So I just want to encourage you to say, we're here to pray together, to be united, and to be believing together. So at the end of service, if, if you're believing for that for yourself or others, just come forward. We'd love to pray together. So 
Uh, but this is our second week. I'm going to move this so I don't run into it. Uh, this is our second week of our Come and See series. Next week, we have some amazing guest speaker. We have Dana Metcalf from our sister church in Bangkok, Bangkok who's going to be speaking. And then the week after that, we have Crystal Martin, who's the National Women's Director for the Assemblies of God, uh, an incredible speaker. I mean, both of them are, are really going to preach a great word. But today, we're going to wrap up our Come and See series, really talking about our theme for the year, which if you couldn't guess, is come and see. <laughs> yes. Uh, last week we talked about the Samaritan woman, but today I just want to jump in, into something specific because as the new year has begun and as we've gotten basically halfway into the month of, month of January, it's been interesting the conversations that I've begun to have with people and as they've begun to look out at the new year. And it really struck me as uh, we approach 2022, how many people are asking the question, what does God want me to do this year? Which I think is a great question. But I, I, I've sensed in a lot of people a really deep tension. And it's usually around this idea when it comes to their life. What has God called me to do with my life? And if you've been around church for a while, that word calling is either exciting or obnoxious to you. <laughs> Depending on how you're wired. To me, it's exciting because even at a young age, I felt like God affirmed what I felt like he was calling me not only to live, but to do in, in my profession. But for many people, I know it's a deep source of tension because you're not sure, what is he calling me to do? What, what is he calling me to do this year? And a lot of us are living with a fear of missing out, of failing, of not being enough, of not understanding, of throwing away an opportunity, of maybe having missed out because of past choices or for what God wants to do in our life. And hear me this morning. I believe that God has put a calling within each and every person. But if I want to be honest with you, I don't think it is about a job or a career or a school or a family first. God has put a calling first in your life on how he created you to be and how he created you to live. It is something internal. It is an identity with him. It is a life to be lived out. But what's amazing is as we live out this calling that God has put on our life, which I'm going to talk about in a second, what do we do to follow him? As we live out this calling internally, what happens is we can better understand the ways he's provided or gifted us through talents or blessings or opportunities to live it externally. So it does begin to produce in our life, in our job, in our family, in our career. It is directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, who walks with us, who says, yes, go this way. No, I'm closing a door over here. Don't go this way. But it begins here. It doesn't begin out. It begins here that God has put a call on our life. So what is the call of Christ? Last week, I talked about the Samaritan woman and the call on her life where she went out into her neighborhood very evangelistically and missionally and began to say, come and see the man who's told me everything I've done. Is this the Christ? But today, I want to look at where Jesus gives a call to followers and says to his followers, 
come and see. And I want us to look at together when Jesus says, come and see, what is he inviting us to? What kind of life is he inviting us to live? Because I truly believe that Jesus' invitation to come and see is to experience something life-changing and life-directing internally that bears fruit that impacts every element of our life externally. If you brought your Bible, here's what I want to do. Just open to John chapter 1, verse 5, or verse 35, I'm sorry. John chapter 1, verse 35. We're going to look at the call of Jesus, the call to come and see. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active. And God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would reveal the truth to us. In your name, amen. Amen. Is everyone with me? Amen. Oh, come on. Second service. Everyone with me? Amen. There we go. Stir it up. There we go, church. <laughs> Gonna wake it up. You're like, we have not had caffeine in seven days. Amen yourself. <laughs> We're going to look at John chapter 1, verse 35. And uh, in this verse, we, we start by seeing John the Baptist and his declaration. And now we've talked in this church about John the Baptist for a while. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he was really preparing the way for the Christ. He was preparing the hearts of the people for Jesus. And so all of his ministry was preparing the way for Jesus to come. And so right before the portion we're going to read is a profound portion of Scripture we don't have time for, but it's great because all the Scripture is. But it's where Jesus uh, comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him. Uh, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The voice of God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. And there's this moment where John declares, this is the guy that I've been telling you about. This is the guy. So we pick it up in verse 35 is the next day. Here we are. Everyone with me? Okay. Verse 35 says, The next day, John, same John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. It says, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. It says, The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And he said to, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is a fascinating encounter to me. Here you have the, the two disciples of John. They hear John make a declaration about Jesus. They begin to follow Jesus Christ. They've been to follow after him, physically speaking, follow him. And he turns around and he sees them following and he asks them a question. Basically, why are you following me? What are you expecting to get out of this? Why are you, th this is a common thing that Jesus asked people. He asked Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? I know what the world says. Who do you say that I am? So he turns and he asks them, okay, why are you following me? Is it because you actually believe what John professed about me, right? Why are you following me? And they answer him the weirdest possible way on the surface, right? They, they answer him like a parent answers a child, right? Uh, Mom, can I have this? I don't know. Can you, right? How many of you grew up with parents that answered you with questions? That is the most infuriating thing, and I love doing it to my children. <laughs> it's like, it's so great. Just ask them a totally different question. Like, can we watch TV? Did you clean your room? Right? <laughs> There's so much in a question, right? And they respond by this question. They say, Rabbi, which literally means great one. 
at the time, rabbis were people who spoke or taught uh, of any divine subject matter. So there wasn't like a deep credentialing body to become a rabbi. If you were someone who went out and taught, you would go out and teach, and you would train others, and they would go out and teach, and that's kind of how it would be handed down. It's not actually till later, so there was like a more formal rabbinical uh, setup of different schooling. But you would get trained, trained in the law, and walk through these things. And so they say, rabbi, which means great one. And then they say something fascinating. They say, where are you staying? Jesus said, why are you following? And they replied with, where are you staying? Are they having a different conversation? Right? <laughs> Imagine me asking you, what do you want? And you go, where do you live? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm not definitely not telling you now. Right? <laughs> Stranger. <laughs> right? They say, where are you staying? See, on the surface, in a physical sense, it sounds like an odd question. But when you understand the depth and riches of the Word of God and what John is writing here and explaining, it is greater than just physical. It's theological. See, when they say staying, the word there is remain or to abide. And so Jesus says, what are you looking for? Why are you following me? And they say, great one. We are looking for where you abide. We would like to abide there. See, that's more than just like, what room are you in? There's something deeper happening here. We want to abide where you abide. That's a true follower. A true follower is to abide where the one you are following abides. To be in with a part of. To remain with. That's what that word means. It's not where you just staying. Where do you remain? And so in verse 39, John chapter 1, verse 39, he says, He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What's profound about this encounter is we know that one of the people who is the followers here is Peter. And when Peter comes into the house, Jesus has an encounter with them and teaches them and guides them, and he changes his name from Simon to Peter. He says, You will be Peter. There's a transformational encounter that's happening. This is more than just come and see what room I'm staying in. Come and see my pull-out sofa couch and my sink. It's got great knobs. The place has great water pressure, right? This is profoundly deeper than come and see where I physically reside. It's to come and see where I abide. Come and see that I am the Christ. The call to come and see is the call to come abide in Christ. To see that He abides in the Father and that we abide in Him. It's to come and see to witness the entirety of the relationship with Him, our Savior. So where does He abide? Yeah, beyond that room, where does Christ abide? Well, before his death, Jesus comforted the disciples. And he tells them, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you in my father's house. And he said, I'm going to return, and I'm going to take you with you. You know the place I'm going. And immediately Thomas, as I would, says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. Any Thomases up in here, you know what I'm talking about. Like, let's just be real. Like, Jesus, like, you know where I'm going. You're in the back. Like, like I've been with you for three years. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I'm not going to know for four more days. Then I'm going to get some of it, right? But I, I respect Thomas. Thomas is like, I have no idea where you're going. How can I know the way? And so Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've known me, you know my father also. He says, but from now on you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but that the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe in me that I'm the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on accounts of the works themselves. This is the testimony of Jesus, that he abides, that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. He's saying, listen, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father, because I'm doing what my Father has sent me to do. He's at work through me. He is in me. The God, God is with the Son, and the Son is working. God is working through the Son, and God is glorified through the Son, Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is in the Father, where do we abide? Well, like I said before, the call to come and see is the call to come and to abide in Christ. That's where we abide. When the Samaritan woman gives the call to come and see, she does not give the call to the 9 o'clock or 1045 service. Though a part of being uh, in a spiritual body of believers is to engage in corporate worship. That's in the Bible. But the call to come and see is to come and see Christ. To come and see Jesus. To come and see hope and healing that comes through Him. It's to come and to abide in Him. Church, this is the calling on our life, to abide in Christ. How do I know if I'm walking in purpose? How do I know if I'm abiding in Christ? How do I know if I'm living with my calling? Are you abiding? Are you remaining? Are you walking with Christ? And so Jesus teaches his disciples this in John chapter 15, verse 1. He says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. It says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Woo! Okay, that's a lot. In like one little portion. Can I tell more? Can, can you turn on the fans for me, Gianna? Thank you. Is anyone else warm? I'm warm. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and the church, that was the best response of the whole message was, is anyone warm? It was like, Jesus has saved you. Like, ah, whatever. Are you warm? Yes, praise him. <laughs> right? I am warm. Yes. <laughs> so there's a lot happening. <laughs> there's a lot happening in this verse. So let's take it. Let's take it bit by bit here. This is more of a teaching than a preaching. So let's walk through it together. Very first thing he says is, I am the true vine. Hear me. Jesus is, if you're writing notes, write this down. Jesus is the true vine. I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at you, so I just encourage you, write it down, go home, meditate on the Word of God, and allow it to continually transform you. Right? Uh, Jesus is the true vine. In the Old Testament, the vine was a very common symbol for Israel uh, as the covenant people of God. Psalm 80, it says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. A lot of references to historic Israel are that they are a vine. Unfortunately, <laughs> most of the time that the vine is mentioned, it is producing no fruit or bad fruit. And so what Jesus is contrasting here is that the vine that has struggled, he is the true vine. He is the fulfillment of everything that was promised. 
everything that was promised through Israel. He is the fulfillment. I am the true vine. And then he says, and the father is the vine dresser, or yours might say the gardener. The farmer is the gardener. The father is the gardener, and just like in Eden, right, stewarding, except not a physical garden like uh, Adam was set out to steward, but stewarding his people. The father does a couple things, and he mentions two works here, and I want to look at them, but I want to look at them in reverse order here. I'm going to look at the second one first. It says he prunes the branches that bears fruit. Someone say prunes. He prunes. The, the idea there is he cleans off, right? He, I mean, the, the root is to clean something. He prunes the branches that bear fruit. It's interesting. When I, uh, when I lived in Washington, we bought this house and gutted the whole house. It was built in 1926. So, you know, gutted it, found every piece of black, gross asbestos that they used to put everything up in the 20s or whatever it was, and uh, remodeled the whole thing. And outside our house, there was this really cool little vine that grew up. And so what I did is I took it and I began to prune it so that it would grow over this whole entryway. So when you went into the garden, our backyard, you went through like this gateway, uh, arched gateway I built through this like flowering plant. It was really cool. Uh, and I drove by after I sold my house a couple years later, and they had completely cut the vine down and tore every part of it. I mean, it probably stretched this entire width of the stage. It took me four years to cultivate it, uh, and they'd cut it down. And I know why they cut it down, because vines, if you do not carefully prune them, they go everywhere. They'll rip out your siding. They'll dig under things. They'll pull up your roof. They, there's that tiniest vine will do, like, the craziest damage. Why? Because vines, when they grow, like even a grapevine, it'll put out, like, tendrils and shoots all different ways. But if you want it to go in one direction, you have to prune it. It'll also have become so heavy by other little shoots and branches it tries to put out that it'll get weighed down by the time it starts making fruit, and it'll break. And so you have to prune it so that it begins to go the right direction and not be weighed down with the needless things so that it can produce fruit. God does this in our life, right? How many of you have been pruned by God? <laughs> yeah. That's not like the funnest experience, if we're being totally honest. And yet it's an it is entirely necessary for spiritual maturity because God needs to come in often and cut away the things that are, are leading us away from the path we're supposed to walk or begin to cut away the things that are weighing us down and keeping us from truly producing the fruit. Some of us, because we're seeing fruit begin to produce in our life, we're, we're confused because we're also weighed down. But the Lord needs to come in and begin to prune, begin to cut away. And what I love about the Lord is that he prunes because he cares. It's interesting. Hebrews talks about this a lot, about discipline. And now culturally, we don't like the word discipline because we traditionally think it means violent forms of punishment. But discipline is important. In fact, we're living in a culture that is visually showing us the consequence of no discipline. Right? But Hebrews talks about the benefit of discipline and the good fatherly example of disciplining your children. In fact, it says in Hebrews 12, 7, it says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. It says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we've respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? 
For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit. Someone say fruit. Fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He says, listen, he, he's pruning the guy towards holiness because he doesn't want you to break under the weight of the things you don't need to carry. And in verse 3, he uses the same root word. He says, listen, you've already been clean, been made clean, or begin to be pruned by. He says, you're already clean. The cleansing power of the word that Jesus has spoken is like that life that flows from the vine to the branches. And Jesus' teaching in its entirety, including what he is and what he's done, has begun to take root in his followers. And he says, God's pruning work has already begun in your life. But he says there is a second kind of branch. Everyone's still here. There is a second kind. The first gets pruned. The second gets cut off. He removes the branches or cuts away the branches that bear no fruit. When you're doing this in a vine that's growing, you have to cut away dead branches or else they will impede the growth of the living branches. You have to cut away dead wood so the living branches may thrive. Here's what Jesus and John are saying. There are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. I know we love to measure Christianity in attendance or, uh, you know, scriptures you post on Instagram per selfie ratio, whatever that might be for you. That's not the measure. There's no true measure of Christian without some measure of fruit. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity. Fruitfulness is an infallible mark of true Christianity. Let me explain. I got this branch here that I finally found a place for. <laughs> so I, I took this off a tree. If you love trees, I'm sorry. Uh, you must not understand how they work because trees get pruned all the time. So don't be mad that I stole this branch off. I don't want to get emails like, we don't love trees in this church. That's right, we hate trees. Right. Uh, <laughs> but but I, took this, <laughs> I took this branch off a tree and uh, does anyone know uh, what kind of fruit this would produce? Does anyone know what kind of tree this would be? No, it's really hard. First of all, it's really far away, and I keep moving it, so that's going to be hard. I just keep moving. You can't see it. It's hard to guess, like, what it would produce, what it would make. How will we know what kind of branch this was? How would we know? Well, a couple ways. One, we could see the kind of tree it was attached to or grafted into. We might have an idea, right, from general context. The best way we're going to know what kind of branch this is, is if it produces fruit and we see it. If an orange develops on this tree, we'll go, oh, an orange tree, right? Now, I don't want to talk about grafting different types of similar things, but uh, citrus, grapefruit, whatever, something's going to pop up, right? And we'll know that's it, right? So if I take this branch. This branch will never, this is, this branch is going to die. After this, it's going in the trash. It's the second service. It's going in the garbage. It will never produce anything again. If I uh, just leave this, it doesn't have life in itself, right? This branch has no life. The life it has, it was getting from the tree. That's why in winter, uh, deciduous trees lose their leaves because the sap, the life gets sucked back into the trunk and it's no longer in the branches, right? It gets it from the source. So if it's not grafted into the source, it will die. So if I graft it in, it will get life. And the only life it has comes from the tree. And so if I do that, I mean, to graft something in, what I would need to do 
is I need to take this and cut the edges off of it really clean, put a rooting hormone or some kind of hormone on there, and then I would need to put a wound on the tree. That's a whole nother sermon. And, uh, and I would need to put this branch where the wound of the tree is and bind them together, and then they would be grafted, and this branch could produce fruit. And two things are going to happen, right? It will grow. I mean, let's just be very practical, right? This verse is very, very theological. Let's be very practical. Two things are going to happen. It's going to grow and make oranges, or it's going to die, right? That's it. Those are the only two options. It's not going to, like, half die, semi-die, make an apple instead of an orange. It's either going to make an orange, or it's going to die. That's how it works. That's how nature works, right? So if it dies, there's a question. Either the tree was no good that I grafted it to, or the grafting was no good. And if I know, because I'm looking at the tree like, man, there's a lot of oranges on this tree. This is a good tree. Everything that's attached to it bears fruit, except for this thing. Then I would have to go. If I'm a logical person using a brain, this is what we would call science, the observ you know, observation of the natural world, before we made it a term for a bunch of other random things, is that I would go like, hey, look at that. It's dead. It must not have grafted in, right? That would make sense. Because I know that the tree is good. I know that when things are attached to it, they produce fruit. I'm going to throw it away. Don't worry. Some of you were worried, like, I can't believe you threw it on the ground. That's, that's the Jesus branch. <laughs> if Jesus is the true vine, we know that those truly grafted to him will produce fruit. Just like the branch. If it dies, it's not the vine's fault, but the grafting. So the question is, if like, as people, as believers, as followers, if I am not in any way producing fruit of any kind in keeping with following Jesus Christ, am I truly grafted into the vine? And listen, you can be near, hey, let's go back with this. Let's say, let's say this is the tree. You can be near, But that's not going to help. I mean, it didn't even stay there for the three seconds of the illustration. You can be in contact with Christ. You can be near church. You can be around. You can be at your small group. But if you're not grafted in, if you do not abide in Christ with the totality of your being, saying, I surrender my heart to you. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. If you are still grafted in things, you can be close to God and still be so far. There's a persistent strand of New Testament witness that depicts men and women with some degree of connection with Jesus or with the Christian church who nevertheless, by failing to display the grace of perseverance, finally just testify that the transforming life of Christ has never truly pulsated within them. Take Judas. I mean, he did the books. You got to be close to your bookkeeper, right? Think about Judas. Spent three years with Jesus. Like in a small group with Jesus for three years. But to miss it, why? Was it the vine? Was the vine not providing life? No, there had to be something about abiding in him. In John 15, 4, that's why he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If you're writing notes, I just want you to write this down. Abiding in the vine is the source of life. 
Abiding in the vine is the source of life. He says, abide in me and I in you. Remain in me, as your words might say, and I will remain in you. This is important. This is not a mutual imperative. This is not like, let us both remain in each other. This is not a comparison. Remain in me in the similar way as to how I remain in you. This is conditional. Remain in me, I will remain in you. Remain in me, I will remain in you. Our perseverance in remaining in Jesus is the occasional cause, not the ultimate cause of Jesus remaining in us. Jesus says no branch can bear fruit by itself. That branch will never make fruit unless it is grafted into the vine. It's entirely dependent on the vine for life and fruitfulness. Living branches must be in the vine for the life of the vine to be truly in the branch. We must abide in the vine for life. I know we're very concerned about external fruit. That's where our mind goes as believers, where we go to these different places of performance in our life that we feel like we need to perform as believers. It goes out to our family and our jobs and, all, and our city and all these things. Listen, this is where it starts. It starts here at the core. We must abide in Christ. We must be fully dependent upon Him as the source of our life. Not Jesus and, not other things and Jesus, but the true vine and the true vine alone. We abide in Him. And it says if His life abides in us, we produce good fruit. It says, I'm the vine in uh, verse, verse 5, John 15 verse 5. says this. How sweet, it's right here. I'm the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burned. Hear me. We must abide in him to bear fruit. Believers, we are not stalactites. We don't grow by accretion. We don't gradually add on layers, and that makes us grow externally. Nor should the church. True growth happens internally from the inside out. It's internal growth driven by the life of the vine, from the, our life of the vine through the branch that produces fruit. I, uh, I planted a, a fig tree uh, right at the end of summer because I like figs, and I like spending too much money on trees. And so I bought this tree for too much money, because if you didn't, if you've not bought a tree recently, they only cost too much money. That's the only form you can purchase a tree in. It's expensive, and why did I purchase this? And there's a third option called, what did you buy? And my wife likes that one. Um, <laughs> And so we bought this tree, and we brought it home, and I planted it in the ground because it's a tree, and that's what you do. You put it in the dirt, right? Now, I didn't know that I needed some kind of degree to plant this tree, and I needed like a, chem I needed like a biology set for my soil of different microbes, and like they're like, did you use 32 milligrams of bone meal underneath the second permissious layer? I'm like, I don't even, who, hello? Like, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> So I called them on the phone, and I was like, listen, this tree you gave me uh, is dying, and I spent way too much for this tree to die. I mean, 20 bucks, sure. Like, I'll kill it myself. But, you know, this much is too much for me. It must, it must live, right? My family's depending on these figs. <laughs> yeah, that's all we eat, the Daniel Fest, just pure figs. 
that we grow. So it's been a rough. We're losing a lot of weight because only about three figs on this tree. So the tree died-ish. It was mostly dead. And uh, they told me, well, what are, the, what are the conditions around it? And I was like, well, you know, we talk really nice about it, and it seems like people are interested. Like, no, what is the condition of the environment that it's in? I was like, yeah, it's like in the dirt, and like I water it every day. They're like, okay, stop both of those things immediately. Right, here are the necessary conditions for growth, which I wish they would have told me when I purchased the tree for way too much money. Like that should have, it's printed on paper. It's made of trees, right? They said, this is the necessary condition for growth. You must do this in order to grow. Here are the necessary conditions for our spiritual growth. For our spiritual fruitfulness, there are necessary conditions. See, the necessary conditions of our spiritual fruitfulness are continued dependence on the vine, constant reliance on Him, and persistent spiritual absorption of Jesus' life. It cannot be produced any other way. I know we often want to, but can I just take a weight off your shoulders and say, the production in the rest of your life is rooted in this very simple place of making it less about all that you work for Jesus and more about how you abide with Jesus. Continued dependence on the vine, continued reliance on him, and persistent spiritual absorption of Jesus' life. The branches must live, not occasionally, but in complete relational dependence to the vine. We must live in complete dependence to Jesus Christ relationally, day by day, moment by moment. And from that relationship, He will produce fruit in our life. I'm worried about if I don't do enough for God. That's not what it's about. Where do you abide? Jesus, where do you abide? The question is, are we living completely dependent on Christ, or are we living on our own power, strength, and will? I'm a hard worker. I like to work. One of my biggest struggles in following Christ is learning how to abide in Christ and not just work for Christ, especially my job is kind of working for Christ. But I, in many parts of our life, we can all connect in that deep desire. I want to walk and live and depend on and trust in Him, be grafted to Him, not just be doing things that I think He would be proud of me for doing. I want to abide in Him. And what's amazing is if we truly surrender our hearts to Him, we're grafted through Jesus, and we will bear fruit. But I love this, that He adds, God is so generous. Did you know this? God is generous. God is generous, is that he says, not only will we bear fruit, he says followers will bear much fruit. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It'd be good enough just like if he abides in me and I abide in him, like, I'll let him hang around me, right? That would be enough for me because, like, I know who I am and I'm a sinner saved by grace. But God is so good that he looks past my insecurities and he says, listen, uh, through you, if you are grafted into the vine, because of how good the vine is, not the branch, but the vine, you, the, vi you, the branch, will bear much fruit. 
often when we talk about bearing fruit, we like pick one, like it's obedience, or it's new converts, or it's love, or it's Christian character. And I don't want to just reduce it down to one thing, because the fruit is, a, is the life lived with Jesus Christ. It's a full life with Jesus. It's living out what he created us to be. That's the fruit of abiding in him, is going into 2022, not thinking, oh, I hope I get my calling, but knowing that you were called as a child of God and walking with the Most High Lord, and that through him, he will bring fruit in your life. So what's the fruit that we bear? How, do, how does that look? I love how John describes it. As Jesus is teaching, he says this. Verse 7, John 15, verse 7. You still with me, amen? Amen, awesome. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let me explain. The fruit is consequence of prayer in Jesus' name. Brings glory to the Father. Let me explain. When we look at this uh, vine imagery broader, as we understand it, not only as an example, but as Jesus is trying to teach us about following him, the fruit of the vine, of us as the branch, represents everything that is a product of effective prayer in Jesus' name. And he lists these things out. So I want to I give you a couple, okay? Okay, if you're writing notes, you can write this down. What are some of these fruits that he's talking about? He's saying, these are the fruits, these are the visible fruits of a life that is abiding in me. The first thing is obedience to Jesus' commands. The obedience to Jesus' commands. In verse 9, John 15, verse 9, if we continue, it says, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, the whole of, of abiding is not reduced to obedience, but it is a really obvious fruit. A test in the observable area of obedience to Christ is also a test in the unseen area of genuine spiritual vitality. How do I know if I'm living a spiritually vital life? Well, am I walking in obedience to the Lord? No, then you're not. Am I walking in obedience to the Lord? Yes, then you might be, yeah. Like, that's really simple. Yes, it's only us who complicate it. Because if we complicate it, then we don't have to do it. But Jesus says, listen, as you abide in me, one of the fruits is that you begin to walk more fully and completely in who I am, and therefore walking in obedience to my commands and my will. Now you're praying not for just whatever your flesh desires, but you're praying and seeking me in accordance to my will in the way that I've commanded and directed and guided. You're living this fruitful life of prayer. But he also says, not only is it obedience to Jesus' commands, he says, you'll experience the joy, uh, or, sorry, you'll experience Man, third time's a charm. The experience, there we go, of Jesus' joy. Whew, there we go. <laughs> made it, we made it. Obedience to Jesus' commands is the first. The second is the experience of Jesus' joy. In verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, the fruit of being in the vine is receiving the joy that the vine possesses. We have a generation, a nation that is racked with a spirit of depression. I know there's many things chemically, mentally that are involved, trauma and difficulty. So I'm not minimizing those things, but I just want to say, 
if we graft ourselves into the vine of Jesus Christ, he can bring healing because he brings joy. That's not just happiness or prescribed happiness. It's a deep joy that comes from him. That's not to minimize struggle, but to say, I just believe God's that big. He brings true joy. It's a joy that comes. It's the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. When was the last time you just lived a whole week just thankful that Jesus saved you from sin, death, shame, and hell? Just be like, wow, thank you, God. You love me so much. But not only that, the fruit is a love for one another. This sounds like a great church. We should do these. Love for one another. 1512, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We've already seen that true disciples obey Christ's commands, and this is one of them. Listen, if you're here and you're someone who struggles to love people, can I encourage you to graft yourself into the vine of Jesus Christ more clearly? To really go back and look. When we graft in something into, into a tree, you've got to scrape away the outer core because if you don't, it won't take. Some of you might need to just kind of pop that on and take a look and say, is there anything I need to scrape away? Some bitterness, some unforgiveness, because he forgave me. He doesn't hold a grudge against me. Why is it that I so quickly hold a grudge against others? He says the fruit is a love for one another. Isn't it amazing as we abide in Christ, we begin to see his character reflected in our life because it's not coming from us, it's coming through us from him by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. And finally, not only is it a love for one another, but we see that the fruit is a witness to the world. John 15, 16, he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, we don't have time to read the rest of this chapter where he talks about sending him and all these things. But sharing the hope of Jesus is the fruit of being in the vine. Why? Because the fruit makes it obvious that what the vine is. That's the great thing. Do you see how I'm trying to say it's not resting on you, it's resting on God? See, we, we, don't, we don't look at the grapevine and think this vine's responsible for these grapes and this vine's responsible for these grapes and this branch is responsible for these grapes. We say the vine is responsible for producing fruit through the branches. He will produce fruit through you. He will produce a witness in your life if you are abiding in Christ. And that is the fruit of abiding in Christ. This is what abiding in Christ produces. It's nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of our life in the product of our witness. It's this life that glorifies the Father because it is in complete union with Him like He created us to be and sent His Son to restore us to be. Band, you can come up. This is why I think it's so important as we enter the new year. That the call to come and see is a call for us to come and to abide in Christ and He in us. We have to first find our life in Him, that He is the source, like the branch that only lives because of the vine. We only have true life because of Jesus Christ. But what's amazing is as we abide in Christ, it's His life moving through us, like the life of the vine through the life of the branch that produces fruit. I'm here to take the weight off your shoulders today. 
and say it's not your job to prove your way into heaven or prove your fruit or go out and, and try to earn this or do that or show this or show God that you really were worth dying for. If you do this, do, to show him that you really are worth loving. That is not the heavenly father who sent his son Jesus to die for you, who sent his son Jesus that you might abide in him, that you might remain in him. The God that I know, the God of love and power and truth, that God sent his son to come down and say to you, come and see, come and abide in me, come root your life, come say, I'm tired of trusting and grafting into other things and grafting into other per pursuits to try to produce fruit in those areas. I'm going to graft myself into Jesus Christ. And when I do, when I surrender my heart completely, I release the weight of proving myself and he produces the fruit through me. What has God called you to do in 2022? He's called you to produce whatever fruit he wants to produce in your life as long as you are abiding in him. And that might be, sometimes believers, that's at the job you work at. Sometimes believers, that's at the hospital you're sick in. Sometimes that's the prison that you are captured in. That is the tradition we inherit. Sometimes that is the poverty that you sit in or the, or the high place that you feel like you're celebrating. What has God called me to do? I don't know if it's God called. God has called you to abide in him so that through you, he's, the fruit of his love might be displayed to others. So the question this year, I, I hope for your life is not, I hope I'm doing enough. But the question is, am I abiding in Christ? Am I abiding in Christ? And if I take stock of the fruit of my life, does it look like I'm abiding in Christ? You'll know, know us by our fruit. I'm going to invite you to stand today. And I'm going to invite you, as you stand, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? I want to pray for you this morning. But I want to do this because I want to ask a question. I want to take this moment here. As a culture, we are so shackled by what we try to prove. We try to prove that we are good parents. We try to prove that we are good people. We try to prove that we look like this, sound like this. We have the filters to help us do it. For many of us, vision is overwhelming because it pushes us to this idea of not measuring up or not being enough or worrying about failing. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that God has come right now to take a weight off your shoulders. And to leave you with one question, am I abiding in Christ? And to give you one option today, step into him, surrender your heart completely. Some of you might say, I love the Lord, but you know what? I have really struggled to trust the Lord fully with my heart. Some of you say, you know what, I, I, do, I do like Jesus but I've struggled to give him everything. My bitterness, my frustration, my highs and my lows, I still take it upon myself. Church, I take it upon myself as well. And you feel that anxiety in your body and that tension to be enough, to do enough. But that's not what you're here to listen to this morning. You're here to encounter a God who says, I died on the cross and rose again on the third day and I gave my spirit to dwell with you 
And I invite you to abide in me completely and totally, to surrender every part, that thing even right now that you're holding on, that the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is bringing to your mind, to surrender and lay that down, your insecurities, your inadequacies, to repent of the things that we have grafted into that are not the Lord, that we have begun to bind ourselves to that are not the source of life of God, to surrender our heart completely in dependence on Him and just say, Jesus, this year I choose to abide in You. And would You bring forth the fruit that comes from You? The fruit that comes from You, Jesus. If that's You in this place this morning, and you're saying, man, I, I just, would you pray with me? I would be honored to pray with you this morning. If you're saying, this year, 2022, I want to hear that call of Jesus to come and see. And I just want to abide in him. I want to remain in him like never before by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like never before in 2022. If that's you, would you just lift your hands with me? I want to pray with you this morning. I want to abide in Christ. And as I pray with you, if you're one of those people that just carries the weight of the world the weight of even that word calling on your shoulders. I believe God wants to release that weight today. Jesus, I thank you right now that we are gathered as a church that is pursuant after you. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to die for us. And I thank you, Jesus, that that call to come and see, to abide in you, to live in relationship with you is as real today as it was back then. That you have sent your Holy Spirit to indwell within us. So right now, every person who has confessed that Jesus is Lord and every person who believes in their heart that he has been risen from the dead has received the Holy Spirit upon them. And so we know, God, that you are with us. And so, Lord, I pray this year, beginning on this week, that we as a people would abide and remain in you like never before. God, those places that we have tried to partially graft ourselves, and we have split our branch to graft ourselves in other places, God, we pray you would cut them away in this moment, in this place, and in this time, and that we would be fully and completely grafted into you, dependent entirely on you for the source of our life for the source of our fruit. And God, I pray as we do, as we release that way, I pray that you would move through us because we know that the vine is true and good. In fact, Lord, we just say thank you right now because I know, God, that as we graft ourselves into you, as we remain in you, as we abide in you, as we walk in obedience to you, as we follow you, God, I know right now that you will bring forth fruit because you are the good vine, because you are the true vine. And Jesus, that is what you do. You bring forth fruit in lives, and not just some fruit, not just a fruit, but much fruit. You bring forth in the life, God, a love for others. You bring forth a prayer life that is unstoppable. God, you bring forth a deep desire to witness. God, you bring forth the joy that comes from the Lord that conquers all lies of oppression and depression. So we pray this year that when we get to 2023, that what we would look back and reflect on is a, is a church, a gathering of people who said, even today, I choose to abide in you. God, I'm done trying to work for you or earn it for you, but instead, God, I choose to work and walk with you, to abide in you, and to have you work through me, Jesus. We thank you. We worship you. Wherever you are in this moment, just begin to worship him. Begin to thank him. Begin to praise him. Begin to invite him. If you need to repent, repent. If you need to lay it down, lay it down, whatever it is, and just have this moment, you and Jesus, in this place. 
Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.